Greetings, my nerds, and welcome to a very special episode of the Northwest Nerd Podcast, where we cover pop culture, science, and technology with a Pacific Northwest focus. On today's show, we want to talk about Stan the Man Lee, the legend, the uh, the comic book creator behind a lot of your favorite characters, Spider-Man, the X-Men, Fantastic Four, Hulk, Iron Man, Black Panther, so many X-Men, too many to name really. Yeah. He's he's an icon and nerds, anybody who listens to the show, anybody who cares at all about all of these Marvel movies, yeah. anyone who cares at all about pop culture storytelling like that being seen as legitimate, owes so much to Stanley. And uh, I, we wanted to do a special episode this week to celebrate his life a little bit. A little bit later in the show, we're going to have uh, a couple of archived interviews that some friends of the show lent to us, uh, our good friend Frank Shires and also Heather Bosch. It's it's just great to hear Stan in these interviews, and you you really just get yeah. a sense of how much of a gem of a human being he was. Just I, such a great and warm Great person. sense of yeah. humor. It was, it's a kind of a warm sense of humor that's just so pleasant. He's a very pleasant <laughs> guy to incredibly talk Incredibly pleasant. Yeah, and, and, and kind of you know piggyback off of what you said, Stan Lee, the way I've been describing it to people is if you take out uh, the Stan Lee puzzle piece from the picture, you have a very incomplete picture of what our fandom and our pop culture has been over the last half century or so. He was that important to this medium that has sprouted off into so many other things. Movies are the obvious ones, but to this day, you can say, you know, don't hulk out. Or you can, you know, Web Slinger, Spider-Man. These are now such common household names that, and it all stemmed really, I mean, it stemmed from a lot of people. I mean, the Marvel way, et cetera. But this one guy. Huge shout out to Steve Ditko as well. Yeah, and Jack Kirby and all those guys. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, this one guy taking the helm of Marvel Comics, I think at the time it was called Timely, and they were suffering, and then they became Marvel Comics. Is, is monumental in influence. I think that oftentimes when great artists or, or, or great influencers pass away, we tend to take a look at the history and just think that like, oh, they came around at the right time. Yeah. And really, if it wasn't them, it could have been someone else who filled that role in history and made things the way they are today. I You cannot say that about Stan Lee. I don't... He is one of one. We would not be where we are today without Stan Lee. I don't think it was necessarily a, like a right time thing either because when you look at what he came in to do, and I think this is the reason why I like Stan Lee. At the time of the 60s, the 60s into the 70s is when he was uh, editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics. Eventually he became the publisher in the 70s. And at that time, comic books had this thing called like the Comics Code Authority. You had this little stamp on your on your comic book that said you were adhering to the code, and it was a self it was a way of self-censorship for the comic book industry because they had run afoul with with the uh, with local politicians and things because Superman was getting a little too social justice-y and, and they wanted some little more control over this influential medium that kids were reading. So there was like all these little things that superheroes didn't do or that they were supposed to do. And we had this like very condensed version of superheroes being like, I am a superhero and you are the bad man and I will punch you in the face and good will reign and I talk like this and you talk like that. And that was what comic books were. When Stan Lee came into the picture, they even took off that little stamp of approval for certain comic books because people got drug addictions in them. Or the Fantastic Four 
was a dysfunctional family. Or he even had his own column. A lot of these comic books and magazines, it was called like Stan's Soapbox, which has been making the rounds on the internet today, where it was the 1960s in the height of the civil rights movement, and he was calling out racism and bigotry. Mm-hmm. There was things that people were very, very uncomfortable with that he was doing, and he was pushing the envelope. He was going against the grain with them. And today we look at them and we, we think, well, that's just so basic. But for the time, it wasn't. We have superheroes taken more seriously on a more mature level because of what Stan Lee did. And we didn't end up with a very childish, here's a here's a good guy, bad guy, very clear, everybody has a cleft chin type superhero. Yeah, as my uh, my friend Andrew Walsh would call them, crash em ups. Yeah, I, I like that. Actually, <laughs> it's a step good. above crash em ups. Good. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, that's the thing is when we look at, uh, I think, I think you you enter in with X Men, right? I mean, X Men was, uh, as Deadpool would say, a, a clearly a thinly veiled metaphor for racism in the nineteen sixties. I mean, that was his bread and butter at that time, and that's what he was doing with it, you know. And, and a lot of comic book companies weren't doing that. I know nerds will will debate me on that, but I mean, for the, for the most part, yes, this is this is why Stan Lee was important. The thing that we can't debate is the impact that he had on each of us personally as well. Like you mentioned the X-Men, the X-Men were my entry point to mm-hmm. nerd culture. Like I, I didn't even know I was a nerd until I started reading up on the X-Men and then just absolutely fell in love and had to read as much as I could. I, I devoured those stories because 10 year old me saw these misfits with powers who were not just unappreciated, but, but shunned for what they could do and who they were. And to read those stories, it, it felt like someone was shining a light on you, even though no one was there. It felt like you were seen. It felt like you were, you were inducted into this team without ever actually being a mutant. I spent an entire night reading an X-Men encyclopedia from cover to cover, and, and that's when I realized I was a nerd. His stories were so good that I could read about the stories and still just be enthralled. And his ability to use story and character to speak to the issues and speak to the causes that he had in mind was so powerful and so influential. And it's, it's like I said before, he's a one of one. We'll, we'll never see anyone like that again, but we'll see his influence on the rest of not just pop culture, but writing and storytelling well, until... He- you Forever bring up amazing. the writing, you bring up the literature, I think it's a very uh, hit-the-nail-on-the-head point because his goals are really to be kind of like a novelist and a writer and that he kind of got to start with short stories. He wanted to be more of a literary figure, which is why he goes by the name Stan Lee. His real name is Stanley Lieber, and he wanted the name Stanley Lieber to be on the front of a novel, and so he used Stan Lee to be in comic books. That was his comic book name. It ended up being his career he brought that sensibility to comic book storytelling that we never really got before. And as as we're about to hear with some interviews, and I'm not going to give anything away here, he wasn't supposed to do a lot of this. <laughs> and he was actually told not to do a lot of this. And he snuck it in and got away with it and proved his point. This guy was clever. He was very, very clever. And it was thankfully for that cleverness, we have everything from Spider-Man to T'Challa. 
That's as good of an intro as I ever could have done. So let's just get into <laughs> these archive interviews. Uh, let's start with the one from Frank Shires. And then uh, after that, we'll hear Stanley also talk to our friend of the show, Heather Bosch. And we should probably actually note, too, uh, full credit. Uh, these were originally aired on Cairo Radio in around 2010. Uh, Stan Lee was doing some appearances locally for Emerald City Comic Con. Uh, and these were interviews that were uh, taken around the context of that. Stan Lee, what an honor to meet you. And no, I'm not here any longer. I couldn't wait that long. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thank you very much. It's uh, I, I have spent, well... Way, many, way more hours than I should have reading your work. I am an enormous fan, and it, it, I just never thought I'd get a chance to chat with you. Well, you just made my day. Yeah, you changed my life. Stan, I, I have to ask you, we, we had your cameo uh, request to the uh, to the Academy Awards on. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it was, it was great. Kind of funny, isn't it? What's the word from the Academy? Are they going to Oh, they're you? terribly apologetic. You know, there's <laughs> no time this year, but it'll probably be the, the centerpiece of the whole show next year. I Absolutely, it has yeah. to be. And if you believe that, I've got a bridge in Brooklyn to show you. <laughs> now, Stan, you co-created so many of the Marvel. Marvel superheroes, of course, from Spider-Man to the Hulk and Iron Man. Um, how does it feel to see those characters become such a huge part of our culture? Nice. Okay. That's why I'm such a great interviewee, you see. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know. I don't think about it all that much because I'm always too busy doing other things, you know? Yeah, like you get a walk-on uh, in all the Marvel movies. Now, where can we look for you in the new Iron Man movie? Well, there's a big function, a social function going on, and um, as Iron Man or Tony Stark, as he walks by, I shout a little something at him, but I can't tell you what it is. Well, of course yet. not. You're sworn to secrecy. Of course. Um, so I, I have agents following me all the time. <laughs> and I just did the cameo for the Thor movie. Yes, how I was, was a little disappointed. I thought I'd play Odin, but somehow <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I lost out. I would have paid big dollars to see you as Odin. <laughs> yeah, but they'd rather have the movie succeed. <laughs> oh, listen to you. So now uh, Disney owns Marvel. Do you work for the mouse now? Um, I, I, I don't know how to, ex how to say that. In a way, I do. Uh, Disney bought a, a small portion of our... They bought 10% of my little company, POW Entertainment. Right. And I'm still involved with Marvel. So if Disney owns Marvel, I guess I'm involved very heavily with Disney. Which brings me to a question that I had our news department wanted me to ask you, and I want to ask you this too. You created all of these characters. I've, I've read, you know, you started when you were 17 years old. Mm -hmm. you, you invented all of these characters as piecework, knowing that, you know, you were doing it for the company. Now they're making crate loads of money for all of these different entities. Do you, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like you're somehow missing out? No, I don't even think about it. You know, if you keep, the, the best answer to me in life is if you keep busy, you don't have time to look back and think, gee, I should have done this or I should have gotten that. I'm always thinking of tomorrow, not yesterday. That's, that's a great thing. Let me ask you this, though. Let's go back to 1962. You invented Spider-Man. In your wildest dreams, did you ever expect Spidey to get as big or bigger than Superman or Batman? Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
I, I, we, it, all of us working there, we just hoped that the books would sell and we'd um, be able to keep getting our salary and pay the rent. Okay, so now I have a true geek question for you, Stan. Mm-hmm. Uh, your original Hulk was gray, uh-huh. he was smart, he was angry, yeah. and he was a, a part of the original Avengers. Of course, later on he got green and stupid. Do you have a preference? Which character, which form of the Hulk do you like best? Well, I guess I like the green because I've gotten used to it. But what happened was, you know why I changed the color? Please tell me. We um, Kids love costumes. I used to get letters from the fans when I did the Fantastic Four. In the first issue, they didn't have costumes. And the fans wrote, we love the book. It's great, but we'll never buy another issue unless you give them costumes. (laughs) So I realized fans like costumes. Well, when I was going to do a story about a big monster, I couldn't picture a monster going out and making himself a costume. So I thought the next best thing I'd do is give him something, maybe a different color skin so he'd look unusual. Yeah. So I thought gray would be great because it was kind of mysterious and grim and dramatic and scary. So I made him gray, but the printer had trouble printing the color. On one page, it would be dark gray. On one page, it was light gray. On one page, he looked almost black. On one page, he looked almost white. I said, this will never do. So I figured, (laughs) you see, when you're a comic book uh, writer or editor, you're like God. You can do anything. You That's can right. change a person's skin. So I said, I'll look for another color. And nobody was using green at the moment. So I figured, all right, we'll make them green. And that's really how it happened. The printer was able to do a better job with green. That's amazing. So I have to ask you, I've always wanted to know, of all the superheroes you've created, and you've created so many of them, do you have an absolute favorite of the ones you've created? No, I really don't. It's like asking a parent who's his favorite child, you know. I love them all. But, of course, I'm prejudiced. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, You had, for a while there, we had Peter Parker, Mm Spider-Man, married to Mary Jane. In fact, I think you wrote the book, didn't you, where they got married? Yep. Uh, No, I didn't write the book. I did the newspapers. I was doing the Spider-Man newspaper strip at the time, and it was very difficult to do, but we tried to coincide the two weddings so they happened at the same time. So in retrospect, now that uh, Peter and Mary Jane are, are separated and they went back to, you know, basically rebooted the book, do you think it was a mistake to have him marry Mary Jane? Oh, no, no. I thought it was the logical and the natural thing to do. Yeah. Okay. Now let's go. Because we had Peter Parker sort of getting a little bit older when when I started him, he was in high school. Right. And then um, I took him to college. He became a a student in college. And uh, I I figured, why not have him get married? Most people don't realize that your publisher at the time, Martin Goodman, did not want you to introduce Spider-Man. He thought it was uh, an icky character, right? Uh, Not only that. I told him I wanted Spider-Man. I wanted a character called Spider-Man. I wanted him to be a teenager, and I wanted him to have a lot of personal problems. So Martin said, Stan, I think you're losing it. (laughs) He said, you can't have a character called Spider-Man because people hate spiders. You can't let him be a teenager. A teenager can only be a sidekick. And you can't have personal problems. He's a superhero. Don't you know what a superhero is? So um, he he wasn't very happy with the whole idea. So you snuck it into what? Amazing Fantasy, a one-shot, right? Yeah, we were killing that book. And um, when when you're publishing the last issue of a book, 
nobody cares what you put into it because it's the last issue. So I snuck them into there and put them on the cover, and it sold magnificently. And a little bit later, my publisher came in to me, and Martin said, Hey, Stan, you remember that Spider-Man concept you had a while ago, Um, the one we liked so much? Why don't you make a series out of it? (laughs) (laughs) And then you turned to Steve Ditko, and the rest is history. Yeah, that's right. So um, I have to ask you, you know, you've written so many Marvel superheroes, but there are characters that you have never written. Is there any one in particular that you'd love to get your hands on at least one time to write? Yeah, maybe Wolverine. I thought that might be the one. You you invented the rest of the X-Men, but you never got a shot at him with the new X-Men, did you? Well, I can't say I invented the rest of them because there have been so many new ones added since I did the original ones that... Um, I think half of them now I had nothing to do with. That's true. In fact, but Cyclops is still the leader, and he's your guy. Oh, Cyclops? Yeah, in the beginning I had Cyclops, and I had Iceman, and I had uh, Professor X, and Magneto, and uh, let's see, who else? Uh, you know, I can't even... Yeah, I know, you lose track of so yeah. many of them. Okay, so I understand you're working on a new TV series. Can you give us a little hint about what it is? No. Well, come on now, No, I'm sorry. Believe it or not, as you know, I love to talk, and I love to talk about what I'm doing. But I am not allowed to talk about any of the new projects we're working on. Because what happens is, if it's a TV series, and you can understand this, the network or the cable channel wants to make the first announcement. If it's a movie the movie company, the distributor, they want to make the first announcement. So all I can ever say is I'm working on something, which is very frustrating to me and to whom I'm talking to, (laughs) but that's all I can say. Now, you're going to come up here to uh, Seattle here this weekend. Uh, Uh, Yeah, I hope so. Have you been up to Seattle a lot, or is this a first time? No, I've only been there once before. That's changed a little bit since you were here last. Yeah, and it was many years ago that I was there. We now have something called the Space Needle. I think you'll kind of like it. Called the what? The Space Needle. Oh, yeah, I've heard about it, read about it. (laughs) I thought you were going to say we now have something called rain. Oh, no, no, we've always had that (laughs) stuff. Of course, now you've been in L.A. so long, you you hardly know what rain is. Yeah, true. But I'll, I'll I'll wear my rain hat, so we're okay. I'm looking forward to getting up there. I tell you that, Stan. You will not believe the kind of reception you're going to get up here oh. at the Comic Con. You are a god among men. Well, that's as it should be. <laughs> Stan, a, yeah. a pleasure and an honor, sir. Oh, I enjoyed it. You're a good interviewer. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Take crime stories or detective stories. They're all pretty much the same. I mean, you have a detective who's trying to solve a murder or a robbery, and obviously each one is a little different, but they're all formularized. But with a superhero story, it's more colorful. You get a character who can fly, or you get a character who can walk on water, or walk through walls, or shoot fire from his fingers, or whatever... uh, the imaginative writer can come up with and you're reading something that you haven't read that much of before there are always new surprises and it's like it's really science fiction Uh, young people and older people too I suppose love science fiction because it's just taking what is real and extending it a little further and making it imaginative 
it just seems like the science fiction genre, whether you're talking comic books or television, that's the one time we see new technology, inter-race relations, things that we had never seen before were in science fiction first. Well, you're absolutely right, and that's one of the appeals of science fiction. And the better the science fiction writer is, the more he can make what he writes border upon reality. And, uh, well, people like Jules Verne, who wrote about uh, a submarine before we had submarines, you know. So tell me what you're working on right now. What can we look forward from Stanley? See, most of the things I'm working on, they call it in development. We've sold the idea to companies, and now the scripts are being written, and the, they're trying to get the cast together, and it takes forever. That's the one thing about the movie business and the, tel the television business that's different than comics and one reason why comics in a sense are better because you get an idea for a comic book and you get together with an artist you write it he draws it in a month or two it's finished and another couple of months it's on sale and you get your sales figures with a movie you get an idea for a movie and maybe a year later you finally come up with a screenplay and then it's another year to get everything together, to get a director and get a cast and get people that agree that that's the screenplay they want to use without a million revisions. And a year later, they shoot the movie. And I mean, it goes on and on. So comic books, are a, they're a fast medium. It, it's quick satisfaction. You know, long career, a lot to choose from. But, but what are you most proud of, either in your professional, personal life? I'll leave it wide open. Oh, I think uh, the fact that I do so many interviews like this. I love doing interviews. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm proud of, I guess, everything. I, I'm proud of having been married for 60-some-odd years. I'm proud of working with the same people I've worked with for all these years. I'm, I, I, I'm proud of the fact that people are still interested, it seems, in, in what I'm doing. It's very gratifying. Wow, you've been married more than 60 years? Yeah. What's the lovely lady's name? Joan. Joan. I love that name. Now, yeah. I have to ask, okay, mm -hmm. I have like 10,000 comic books that my husband bought over time sitting in my family room. Does Joan have a similar situation at your house? No. No, I never was smart enough to save these books. At the time that I was doing comics... Nobody really gave a hoot about comics. Most people thought they were read by very young children or semi-literate adults. And it was almost an embarrassment in the early days to tell people you wrote comics. So it never occurred to me or to any of us uh, in the field to save these things we were doing. And you didn't we start tried collecting to hide them? them. <laughs> Pardon me? You didn't start collecting them on the way? No, no, I never did. Oh, I have such ammunition to use with my husband. I won't make him move his comic books out. I promise. I'll, I'll promise that to you, Stanley, that I won't make him get rid of his comic books. No, you really mustn't. And, you know, people, everybody, you meet so many guys who say, oh, gee, I could have had so much money now, but my mother made me throw out my comics. With me, my mother didn't care. I could have kept them. It was me. I was too stupid to save them. <laughs> oh, no. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me. Is there anything else you'd like to add before I let you go? Get on with your life here. <laughs> no, I just want to say you're a good interviewer. I enjoy talking to you, and lots of luck. It's a pleasure. Thank you, sir. All right, dear. Yeah.
That's all we have for this special episode of the Northwest Nerd Podcast. I'm actually not even sure what number episode this is yet as of recording this, so we'll all find out together. Coming up on Thursday, we will have our roundtable episode with a couple of people from the Seattle Film Summit, as well as the Bigfoot Script Challenge. So all you writers out there are definitely going to want to listen to that one. It was a great discussion that we had with them. If you have uh, a personal story about your connection to, to Stanley Stories, we'd love to hear it. Go share it on our uh, our Facebook, NW Nerd Podcast on Facebook, or head over to our website, nw-nerd.com, where you can always drop us an email, uh, a comment, a question, anything like that. And with that, I'll see you in a couple days, nerds. Nerds. <laughs>